I invite you to take a Bible from the pew in front of you or your own Bible, perhaps, and to turn to First Chronicles 29, page 521. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. That helps you find it. And while you're looking, another Thanksgiving that I'm just, I hope the microphones are on down in the nursery. We got dozens and dozens of people who gave up this service this morning, so you parents could be here this morning. And uh, if you're listening down there, we really appreciate you being there. Thank you so much. Chapter 29 of First Chronicles, I'm going to read a longer passage, verses 6 to 20, because it's almost a sermon in itself, and then I'll just make brief comments on it, and we'll worship again before we go. Starting at verse 6, this is an interpretation of the meaning of freeing the future as it happened in David's day and as it happened in our day. Then the rulers of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly. And for the service of the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of brass and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. And so David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth Thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from thee, and from thy hand we have given thee. For we are sojourners before thee, and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build thee a house for thy holy name, it is from thy hand, and all is thine. Since I know, O my God, that thou triest the heart and delightest in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy, 
I have seen thy people who are present here make their offerings willingly to thee. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of thy people and direct their heart to thee. And give to thy son Solomon a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, thy statutes, and to do them all and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of the fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. Bless the Lord our God. Say those words with me. Bless the Lord our God. Say them one more time and mean them. Bless the Lord our God. Now verses 6 to 9 here are just the facts. They're just the raw facts. The human level, fathers, princes, commanders, overseers gave gold, silver, brass, iron, and there was enormous generosity and everything was provided so that Solomon one day would have everything he needed to build the house. And the question arose, how do you account for this? And verse 9 stresses the human factor, which is real. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. So they were not coerced. These were choices, human Choices made with joy. David does not shrink back from highlighting the will of man in this accomplishment. If the news media had arrived there in Jerusalem, they would have reported what they could see. They would have said perhaps the cause was perceived as exciting and David was a charismatic leader and the overseers and the princes and the commanders set an, ex- an inspiring example. And Jehiel, Paul Johnson, is a good financial officer and, and uh, he won the trust of the people along with Scott Lestine and Chuck Morris. And then they would say it, it was a bullish year that year in the economy. And so that is part of the explanation. And then they would have said that it's a proud thing to have a building of your own. And then they would have had the cameras pan out over the soon-to-be temple spot and somebody with a very serious kind of voice would have said, this is where the temple will stand someday if the amazing free will of God's people keep generating this kind of Commitment, And they would have come and they would have seen and they would have reported and they would have missed everything that counts. What matters on this day then and this day today is not what you can see with the eye and report with a camera or an interview. What matters is the great invisible reality. This text is designed through the prayer of David to pull back the curtain of the invisible reality of what freeing the future really means. 
No camera would pick up God. No reporter could interview God then or now. There are always psychological and sociological and economic explanations for what happens. Technically, there are no miracles here, no signs and wonders. But David says it is all about God. This is a lesson for us this morning, much wider than freeing the future. This is a lesson for you as to whether or not when you view events and persons in your life and in the church and in the world, whether you will see what cameras see or whether you will see behind the veil the invisible hand of God in everything so that the main issue becomes God in your life And in all that you see. Let's start with verse 10 here to see this veil removed. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. assembly. So he's responding to what he says is human willingness. With willingness and with joy and with generosity, human beings chose to give to the temple. And he blesses God. Must be some connection there in David's mind. What does bless mean? We've used it dozens of times this morning. Great songs. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. What's the soul doing when it blesses God? Here's the way I would define it. There are different ways, but let's let's just try this one. To bless God is to speak good and true and wonderful things about him that account for what happens in the world. Speaking good and true and wonderful things, blessings, saying good things with your mouth about God from your heart, which account for what happens In the world. Now, in this prayer of David, there are 12 things, at least, for which he blesses God. And what freeing the future means, therefore, is a manifestation of God through these 12 things. And I want to highlight them with you and just pause over each one for a few seconds. And let me just say something to the children here. Many of you children are in Sunday school classes where these kinds of names of God and characteristics of God or attributes of God are being written on your walls and dealt with in your Sunday school lessons. So one of the things you could do right now if you're taking notes or just thinking is list the names of God that I'm going to give you in the next few minutes. Okay, here we go. Number one, starting at verse 11, thine, O Lord, is the greatness. Number one, God is great. He's expansive. He's large. He's bigger than anything in the world or in the universe. He's not small and insignificant, but magnificent and great. If there's any greatness in this world that moves you and stirs you, any great extravaganza, it should always send your heart leaping up to God who is 10,000 times greater. Number two, 
I'll just follow through right here in verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. God is powerful. He's not just big, he's strong. Atomic power like a hydrogen bomb or natural powers like a hurricane or the rising tides. When I think about tides, human beings can't begin to arrest the power of a tide where the Pacific Ocean goes 60 feet up in the air and down again. Ten millions and millions of tons of water just up and down because the moon's got this absolutely scientifically unexplainable power called gravity that God simply thought into being. Or you've got stars exploding and coming into being out there. God did all of that. He is very powerful. Number three. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. This isn't the usual kavod, Hebrew word for glory. It's teferit. It's the word beautiful. When his bigness and his power conspire to do and display, what it displays is teferit. Beauty. God is a gloriously beautiful being. Number four, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. God is victorious. The Hebrew word here, it means endurance. That is enduring and prevailing and persisting and persevering so long until all the resisting forces fall away and all that's left is the reigning God in triumph. And so it's translated victorious. Number five, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. This word means it's like royalty or kingliness. When God passes by, you take off your hat and you salute. You don't slouch and you don't slumber. You don't joke and you don't jest when God passes by because there's majesty in God. Number six, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. God owns everything. He owns you. He owns your house. He owns your television. He owns your car, he owns your computers, he owns your your land, he owns your your portfolio, he owns your mind, he owns your affections, he owns your will, he owns your body, he owns your soul. He gives it as a stewardship for you to use in trust for his glory and he takes it when he pleases and does nobody any wrong, whether he takes it at age 1, 5, 15, 22, 33, 56, 80 or 100, you belong to God. He gives and takes whenever he pleases. Death is his right over us. God owns all things in the world. What a perspective to dwell on. Oh, how it would revolutionize our lives if we reckon with the fact that everything, our clothing, our toys, our transportation, our energy, our jobs, They're gods. They're gods. We only have them in trust. We are trustees, not owners. And therefore, we must consult the owner as to the stipulations of the trust 
at every turn. How we use our eyes, men and women on the internet. How we use our hands. How we use our hearts, our mouths. Oh, if we could tame the tongue and bring it into alignment with our God's trust. Number seven. Verse 11 still. Thine is the dominion, O Lord. In other words, not only does he have this royal splendor and this authority, but he rules as king over everything. He has ruling authority. Number eight, thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. In other words, not only does he have this leadership, headship, by virtue of his reality, he chooses to have it. He chooses to exalt himself as head. He doesn't say, yes, I am head, but I will withdraw and conceal myself as head, lest I be known and praised. Rather, he puts himself forward. He exalts himself as head over all things. Number nine, verse 12 now. Both riches and honor come from thee. God doesn't just own all things. He doesn't just rule all things. He doesn't just exalt himself over all things. He is the source in your pockets and in your bank accounts and in your hands of all things. From a human standpoint, it would be reported, well, what happened at Bethlehem this year was that some inheritances came due and some stocks made good. And some shrewd real estate deals were cut and some saving accounts were emptied and some hard work was performed. And David says, riches come from God. The invisible hand behind the hand, in the hand, underneath the hand. If you wrote a check, God wrote the check. God behind the check provided the funds. It's not about what you can see with your physical eyes, folks. Life is not about what you can see with your physical eyes. It's about what God, the invisible hand, is doing behind freeing the future. I feel this morning more dedicated than ever to that mission Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. Because so few people in our land and in this world give God the credit for this ninth point. That both riches and honor come from God. Who today, ask yourself, who today exalts the supremacy of God in their paycheck? Who today exalts the supremacy of God in the stock market? Who today exalts the supremacy of God in year-end bonuses? Hardly anyone. And that's why we exist. Bethlehem exists to call attention to the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. Number 10, verse 12, continuing. Thou dost rule over all, and in Thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. 
It lies in thy hand, not only to give the resources, but to give the greatness and the strength. If someone were to ask me, was there any great systems management through Tim Johnson? Was there any great management of people by Shar and Joby for those home groups? Was there any great financial management by Scott and Paul and Chuck? God would say, it is in my hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. God has been opening his hand to us at Bethlehem. That's the meaning. Number 11. He pauses in verse 13 to burst with thanksgiving and and praise. And then in verse 14, I would say here he reveals his mercy to us. Look at this, verse 14. But who am I, who am I, David says, and I say, and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from thee, and from thy hand we have given thee. In other words, God has helped us to give like this. We have given from God to God. All things are from him, through him, and to him. And wherever we have reached, wherever you reach to get your money, to give, to freeing the future, you reached into the hand of God. That's what verse 14 says. All things come from God, and from God's hand have we given to God. So the 11th tribute to God here is that he is merciful because it says, who are we? Meaning, we sure don't deserve to be able to do this. And that's absolutely right. You see at the end of verse 15, it says, there is no hope. I think that means there is no hope for people like us, except for one thing, the mercy of God. And so we extol the mercy of God in freeing the future. And finally, number 12. Let's jump down to verse 18. God's enabling in this matter is not simply that he provides the funds that we give back to him, but he gives the willingness to give. Remember what he said up in verse 9? Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. So here you have the human dimension. Human beings experiencing an inclination of the will to give. Where did that come from? Let's read verses 18 and 19. O Lord... The God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, our fathers, preserve this, this willingness forever in the intentions of the heart of thy people and direct their heart to thee and give to my son Solomon a perfect or a whole heart to keep thy commandments. 
thy testimonies, thy statutes, and to do them all, and to build the temple for which I made provision. So let me ask you now, where is Solomon going to get a heart to keep the commandments of God? And the answer in the text is from God. O God, give to my son Solomon a whole heart to keep thy commandments. And so what about you? And what about those Jewish saints who gave so generously, so willingly, so freely of their own accord? Where did that come from? Verse 18, O Lord, keep this forever in the intentions of the heart of thy people and direct their heart to thee. When a sinner like John Piper directs his heart toward God, that prayer is answered. Direct my heart toward you. You direct my heart. The direction of my heart, money, sex, fame, family, success, and all kinds of things. Which way will my heart go? My father, Bill Piper, has prayed for me 5,000 times what David prayed for his son. Direct my son's heart to you. And God has done it again and again and again. And where did that generosity come from? It says, O Lord, keep it there. Keep it there. Keep it there. God works to do that. Apart from God, we do not give willingly. Apart from God, we do not direct our hearts to God. And that's why David prays, because prayer is asking God to do what I can't do. And in these nine months, oh, how you have prayed. Do you remember all those Friday morning, Monday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday morning prayer times when freeing the future was pleaded and pleaded and God heard and worked it? So what's the meaning of freeing the future? I conclude with this. The meaning of freeing the future is that it is a manifestation of God, that he is great and powerful and glorious and victorious and majestic, the owner of all things, with dominion over all things, exalted his head over all things, the source of all riches and honor, giving greatness and strength to all, merciful to those who do not deserve mercy like us, and giving the heart and the willingness to give freely and joyfully to him. Freeing the future is a manifestation of God. And very specifically, I end on this note, very specifically, it is a manifestation of God's passion to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. Now, if that's true, if the meaning of freeing the future 
is an expression of the passion of God for God's supremacy in all things for the joy of all peoples, then to the degree that we live for that mission, that this church embodies that mission, to that degree, incredible things are in store for the next decade of this church's ministry. He will be faithful. And we're going to sing about it now. Let's bow for prayer as we prepare our hearts to sing about his faithfulness. Oh God, we have seen you in these months. We have seen you in our debt-free condition. We have seen you now in the word as the veil has been pulled back by your inspired writer, And now we want to open our mouths for just a few more closing minutes in response to what you have revealed about yourself. Would you now, I pray, receive our acclamation that you have been, are now, and always will be a faithful God.